morning. What a what a great day to to worship the Lord and um, to be grateful for His influence in our lives as we think about moms. I actually want to share from Second Timothy this morning. Uh, we're going to look at Second Timothy chapter one verses 3 through 5, and then we're going to jump over to chapter 3 and look at 14 through 17 as our scripture. So I'm going to ask when you find that to stand in God's honor. 2 Timothy chapter 1, beginning at verse 3. I thank God whom I serve as my forefathers did with a clear conscience as night and day I constantly constantly remember you in my prayers. Recalling your tears, I long to see you so that I may be filled with joy. I have been reminded of your sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded now lives in you also. Then turn me to chapter 3, beginning at verse 14. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of because you know those from whom you learned it. And now from infancy you have known the holy scriptures which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Let's pray. Lord, here we are once again, Father, to worship you. Thank you for the moms that are here, Lord, for the influence they have had in our lives, for the love, the encouragement, the support, and the long hours. Father, some people here like me whose mom is already... Father, um, with you, um, thank you for those moms too. Uh, Father, uh, thank you for the memory of somebody that loved us like that and loves us like that. Father, I pray this morning that your spirit might be evident here. Um, We need to hear from you, and that's certainly more than I can do. So, Father, I ask for your anointing. I ask that we might hear and that you might speak and that we might leave here, Lord, looking at you. Because the truth is, Father, moms are beautiful, but it's the image of God in them. And so, Lord, uh, you're the one. We love you. In your name we pray. Amen. I've entitled this message, The Legacy of a Godly Mother. And I want to start out. Something's on my mind as, as I studied for this message. Uh, man, I love my mom, just like you. And my mom's a good woman. But but I have to tell you, I can't say she was a godly woman. You know, what often happens to us in these kind of things, in church and in uh, settings where we're remembering people, because we love them, we tend to make them more than they really were. She was good. I can't say godly. I didn't grow up in a godly home. Um, And and there may be, I want to mention it because there may be some ladies here uh, 
and some of you the same situation. Good mom, but not a godly mom. And I, I guess I'm a little bit jealous of some of you who have godly moms. Had that comfort, that experience. I'm very blessed to have a godly wife, so my kids have a godly mom. There's a difference between being good and being godly. And my heart for each of you is not only that you would be good ladies, but that you would be godly ladies. And that God would impact us, because that's how he does it. Um, As I share, I thought about our country. I thought about the fabric of our society. Moms are so important in that. Uh, thought about presidents, you know, at the White House. The, uh, you know, there's portraits of the president and the first lady around the halls, but not even portraits of their moms, president's moms who are right there, so critical. I mentioned a couple of moms, George Washington's mom, who shared this with George. Uh, she said, remember that God is our only sure trust. To him I commend you. My son, need neglect not the duty of secret prayer. And we always think of that portrait of George Washington at Valley Forge where he is on his knees praying. And it was, it was a well-known fact that George prayed everywhere he could. He'd be in the middle of battle and you often did find him on his knees. And I believe that goes back to remembering the example of his mom. Don't neglect the duty of prayer. Don't leave God out, George. And here's some words about Abraham Lincoln and uh, his mom, Nancy Hank Lincoln, uh, a godly lady that impacted him. This is from a book, a biography by Josiah Holland written in 1866. I just want to share a few words. The mother, though not a ready writer, could read. Books were scarce, but occasionally a volume was caught and eagerly devoured. Abraham and his sister often sat at her feet to hear her read scenes and deeds that roused their young imaginations and fed their hungry minds. The lot of the little family was already sadly dark, was rendered inexpressibly gloomy at an early day by an event which made a profound impression upon the mind of the boy, an impression that probably never wore away during all the eventful years that followed, A quick consumption seized her, and her life went out in the flashing fevers of her disease. The boy and his sister were orphans, and the humble home in the wilderness was now desolate. Her death occurred in 1818 when Abraham was in his tenth year. They laid her to rest underneath the trees near the cabin, and sitting on her grave, the little boy wept in his irreparable loss. And, you know, he never forgot about the impact of his mom later on in years uh, as President of the United States. Uh, There were these words that Holland uh, shared. Mr. Lincoln always looked back to her with unspeakable affection. Long after her sensitive heart and weary hands had crumbled into dust and had climbed to life again in forest flowers, he said to a friend with tears, All that I am or hope to be I owe to my angel mother, Blessings on her memory. Now, that was from Washington, Lincoln. I want to go to the scriptures and want to look at another mother and a grandmother, Lois and Eunice, of Timothy. Timothy, uh, a spiritual son in the faith of Paul, uh, deeply loved. 
Second Timothy was actually the last book that, or last letter that Paul wrote. Paul was in a dark, damp dungeon. It was cold. He wrote to Timothy. He said, come before winter. <laughs> Bring me a coat. Yeah. And he, he dreaded those temperatures. And he desperately wanted to see Timothy, who he loved. Uh, he was about 65 years old. Timothy was about 35 Second uh, Timothy was written during the second journey, the first missionary journey. Uh, more than likely, when Paul was there, was when uh, Eunice and Lois got saved. Probably when Timothy gave his heart to the Lord, he was about thirteen, they think. Uh, the second missionary journey was five years later. That's where we are in Second Timothy. So chances are. Uh, it was from 13 to 18, Timothy's growth. And he had such an amazing growth that as we'll see later, that the church leaders looked around and said, hey, wait a minute, this guy, this guy can be used of God. And Paul saw that. Uh, there, there was an impact that was available. And, and uh, uh, we're going to check that out. Uh, as you look in Second Timothy, I, I think uh, Timothy was not some overconfident, overbearing kind of guy. As you look down in verse 6 of 2 Timothy chapter 1, he says, For this reason I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of hands. For God did not give us a spirit of timidity, but a spirit of power, of love, and self-discipline. In other words, it appears that Timothy was a little bit hesitant possibly a little bit shy, possibly didn't want to be in the limelight. He, you know, timid. And Paul was saying, you know, Timothy, you are gifted. God is all over your life. Be confident. Step out there. Do the job. And, and, and he had an opportunity to be a pastor in one of those early churches. And, and I can just imagine, you know, that feeling of inadequacy, saying, who am I to do this kind of job? Why, why should I have this kind of opportunity? I'm a real mess-up. I'm a real screw-up. And God would call me and use me for such a task as that? I mean, I mean, how could it be? Turn me to Acts 16. Uh, I want to show you something about Timothy that I believe is important. Uh, first three verses. This is where Timothy joins Paul and Silas. It says, he came to Derby and then to Lystra, where a disciple named Timothy lived, whose mother was a Jewess and a believer, but whose father was a Greek. The brothers at Lystra and Iconium spoke well of him. Paul wanted to take him along on the journey, so he circumcised him because of the Jews who lived in that area, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. So here was Timothy joining Paul and Silas. As I said, God was on his life. He was sent. They thought he could be a, a great help. And they give this little piece of information here. It said his mom was a Jewess. You see, the, the lineage was passed down. The church through the, through the mother, through the mom. He was a Jew. But he was a Greek according to his dad's heritage. And the Greeks were strong and and demanding and and I mean I can just imagine the home that Timothy grew up in uh, where a, 
a godly mom that loved him and taught him the ways of God, but a dad who's like, Hey, this guy, you know, it says get him circumcised so he can serve here. So he wasn't circumcised. So I can imagine a dad who said, now wait a minute, Timothy. You might have grown up hearing of the scriptures of the Jewish God. But you are no Jew. You're a Greek, buddy, and you're not going to get circumcised. As long as you're in this home, you're going to be a Greek. You're not going to have some mark of a Jew on you because you're a Greek. And yet there is... Evidently here, there's no mention of the father as we look in the scriptures, uh, either divorced or deceased, I don't know. But the, the, the influence is coming from the grandmother and from the mom, and it's not coming from the dad. Now, back to Second Timothy chapter 1, to give that background, as we uh, come to our text. Uh, Paul's about 65. Timothy's about 35. This is his last letter. He knows death. He knows death is right around the corner. He wants comfort. And as we look in the scripture, there are three wonderful truths about these dear ladies that I want to share this morning that impacted Timothy's life. And I think it's not just Timothy who is affected by these three areas. I think it's all of us. The first one uh, that we see is that, um, I want to call it transparent tenderness. In verse 4, 2 Timothy 1, he says, Recalling your tears, I long to see you so that I may be filled with joy. There is power in tears. Man, is there power in tears. And oftentimes, we guys do not understand it. Guys, have you ever heard? Have you ever heard your the women in your life say this phrase? I just need a good cry. What is a good cry? I'm a guy. I'm still trying to figure this one out. I need a good cry. And yet, there's so much power in that. Most of us guys, no matter what we do, when an argument ensues, you know, once once she starts to cry, it's like, no, stop, just. Shut that down. I can't deal with it. You know, you win. Okay. Uncle, I give. Because there are, there's, there's just this power. There's just this power in tears. Uh, there's also power when God gets hold of his people. And guys, you know, I remember there was a song when I was young on the radio and it said, big boys don't cry, big boys don't cry. Let me tell you something. That is not, big boys do cry. Just because you're not in touch with your emotions and your heart don't mean you're masculine. Timothy saw that in his mom, but he had tears too. He had learned. He, he he had learned to let those tears flow. That's why we always talk about here, you know, you gotta have a Kleenex on every pew here at Kingsway. Don't be ashamed to cry. I want to share with you some words from A.W. Tozer that he shared about the power of tears. He said the Bible was written in tears, and the tears it will yield its best treasures. God has nothing to say to the frivolous man. It was to Moses, a trembling man, that God spoke on the mount. And that same man later saved the nation when he threw himself before God with an offer to have himself blotted out of God's book for Israel's sake. Daniel's long season of fasting and prayer brought Gabriel from heaven to tell him the secret of the centuries. When the beloved John wept much because no one could be found worthy to open the seven-sealed book, one of the elders comforted him with the joyous news that the lion of the tribe of Judah had prevailed. The psalmist often wrote in tears. 
The prophets could hardly conceal their heavy-heartedness. The Apostle Paul, in his otherwise joyous epistle to the Philippians, broke into tears when he thought of the many who were enemies of the cross of Christ and whose end was destruction. Those Christian leaders who shook the world were one and all men of sorrows whose witness to mankind welled out of heavy hearts. There's no power in tears per se, but tears and power ever lie close together in the church of the firstborn. And tears do matter to God. There's a verse in Psalms that talk about God stores our tears. He keeps them. I want to read, this is from the contemporary English version. I actually looked at a bunch of translations with this verse, and, and, and this is the one that caught my attention. In the contemporary English version, this is Psalm 56, verse 8. You have kept record of my days of wandering. You have stored my tears in your bottle and counted each of them. Isn't that, a, isn't that an amazing thought? God stores every one of your tears. And I, I thought it was significant. It says that He counts each one. Once those tears enter that bottle, He doesn't just look at them and say, well, there's my kid's tears. But he remembers each tear, which remember, he remembers each incident where each tear was shed. And, and those tears matter. They're powerful to God. And that's why, guys, we can't stand it when, when she cries. I believe that Eunice and, and Lois both taught that to Timothy. And, and it, it had an impact, okay? A second, the faith was authentic. Look at verse 5. I have reminded... I have been reminded of your sincere faith which first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice and I am persuaded now lives also in you. The word sincere here is literally the Greek word without hypocrisy. And so what? What Paul is saying, he said, hey, I watched your mom's faith. I watched your grandmother's faith. It was a faith without hypocrisy. It was real. It was authentic. It was genuine. You know, it's real. It wasn't just something that happened in a church meeting. It was who she was. It was who these ladies are. Um, you know, I got to thinking about what love looks like, authentic love, and it brought me back. I love fairy tales, stories you hear as a kid. I don't know if any of you, I'm sure some of you guys have read The Velveteen Rabbit. But there's a section from The Velveteen Rabbit that really spoke to me about what love looks like. Listen to this. What is real, asked the rabbit one day when they were lying side by side near the nursery fender before Nana came to tidy the room. Does it mean having things that buzz inside you and stick out handle? A stick-out handle? Real isn't how you're made, said the skin horse. It's a thing that happens to you. When a child loves you for a long, long time, not just to play with, but really loves you, then you become real. Does it hurt? asked the rabbit. <laughs> Sometimes, said the skin horse, for he was always truthful. When you are real, you don't mind being hurt. Does it happen all at once, like being wound up, he asked? or bit by bit. It doesn't happen all at once, said the skin horse. You become. It takes a long time. That's why it doesn't happen often to people who break easily or have sharp edges or who have to be carefully kept. 
generally by the time you're real, most of your hair has been loved off and your eyes drop out and you get all loose in the joints and very shabby. But these things don't matter at all because once you're real, you can't be ugly except to people who don't understand. Isn't that beautiful? And that really talks about an authentic mother's love. Uh, She loves you. That's why her tears hurt so bad, because they come out of that love that's deep. There's one more that I want to share with you, and it's uh, over in chapter 3, verse 14. It deals with firm convictions. He says, But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have come become convinced of because you know those from whom you learned it and how from infancy you've known the Holy Scriptures which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. John Calvin uh, made a statement. He said, Timothy was reared in his infancy in such a way that he could suck in godliness along with his mother's milk. I love that statement. Um, She was a lady of real convictions. Uh, She was the real deal. She stood firm. And Paul says here, the scriptures as you were taught. The scriptures weren't merely a scroll or book that sat on a desk. It was a daily part of living. It was who mom and grandmom is who they are, who they were, and and who they longed for him to be, uh, uh, one who follows Jesus, one who loves Jesus, one who walks with Jesus, one who has real convictions. And, and you know, at, at, at just the right moment, uh, those convictions are too just too hard to keep your mouth shut. We live in an age where people tell you all the time, just keep your mouth shut. But when you really believe something and when you really love people, sometimes you can't. Sometimes you can't. Um, Someone has said uh, uh, the issue today is not that we believe nothing at all, but that we believe everything. There are some things that are convictions that are really worth believing. And um, guys, they're tied up in the Scripture And we live in a day, obviously, where the Scripture is really under attack. The reason this is so important is because this is what God thinks. This is His mind on paper that's been recorded for us and preserved, and it matters. And that's what Timothy saw day after day. He he saw these ladies that loved Jesus. And and I believe that the the Scriptures poured out of their lives. They modeled it and they mouthed it. And it was consistent. And it, it made the difference. Uh, and, and it was a firm conviction in the home that, that, that made the difference. I have a story I'll close with. And I'm probably in trouble because I ran out of the house without my watch. So I have no idea what time it is. Oh, well. Uh, do you guys, some of you, um, some of the younger guys may not know this name, but there was a running back named Earl Campbell that uh, was very gifted running back. He was from a small town in Texas. Uh, well, it's probably grown now. It used to be small Tyler, Texas. 
And he went to University of Texas, and he was a football star. Um, in his day, he was it. But what a lot of people don't know, and I heard that this week, I love this story. <laughs> Earl's mom loves Jesus with all of her heart. And it was Earl Campbell's sophomore year. Earl called home, and he said, Mama, would it be okay, Mama, if I come home for Christmas and bring four or five of my teammates to, to come home, Mama? W- would that be okay, Mama? And she said, Earl, how are you, baby? She said, I'm good, Mama. Mama, can I come home and bring my friends? Earl, I need you to answer me a question, honey. Yeah, Mama. Earl, are you loving Jesus? Uh, Mama, can I come home? Earl, are you loving Jesus, Earl? Well, Mama, uh, University of Texas is a lot bigger place than Tyler, and it's really not the same. And, and Earl, are you loving Jesus? Well, Mama, no, no, ma'am. Well, then, honey, you and your friends just stay up there this Christmas, and don't you come home till you're loving Jesus. Well, Earl said it was awful, man. The food tastes like cardboard. His friends were up there, and, and, and uh, I mean, he was just suffering. He was thinking, I would love to be home with Mama, getting that good cooking, you know, being with a family. So when Easter rolled around, he calls home and he says, Mama, he says, this is Earl. Hey, Earl. Mama, I'm loving Jesus. Mama, I'm loving Jesus. She said, well, honey, if you're loving Jesus, you can come on home and bring any friends you want with you. But honey, if you ain't loving Jesus, don't come home. <laughs> so, can you imagine what that must have done to her son? That's one thing. This cute story, we hear that. And I understand the positives and the negatives of I've got to love my kids and all that. Oh, he knew Mama loved him. Loved him enough that her heart's desire more than anything was that he loved Jesus. What about my home? Oh boy, what about your home? You know, as I start thinking about this message and I thought about me, man, I am so woefully inadequate. You know, Logan had mentioned up here to sing. I thought, you know, I'm sitting here. I don't feel the sincere faith without hypocrisy. Ah. Uh. That's the goal. That's the call. That's the heart. That we would love Jesus. That we'd be people of conviction. Man, that we'd be, you know, transparently tender. Um, That we'd be sincere, authentic. What about you? We have an altar that's open. Um, Maybe as I started this message, said maybe you're here and you're good, but you're not godly. Maybe God wants to get a hold of your heart. Look, the only way the godly thing happens is when Jesus Christ enters your life. He's what makes you godly. Everything else just makes you good, and there is a difference. 
we have an altar where you can come and bow to Jesus. Um, you know, it's really, I'm not the one you have to do business with, it's God. I mean, I'm here talking, but hopefully God's spoken to your heart and you need to talk to Him. If he, If He's beaten up on you because you're under conviction, don't get mad at me. Talk to God about it. And guess what? You'll always lose. Because the only way we find real peace, the only way it really makes sense is when Jesus is Lord and Savior. Let's pray. Lord, uh, what a great day. And yet, Father, as much as we love our moms, we ultimately know that what makes them so wonderful is your spirit in them, your image alive. And uh, pray, Father, that uh, we do business with you this morning, Lord. What do you want from us, Lord? Uh, as we've talked about Eunice and Lois, uh, Father, um, it's still Jesus who's behind it all. And uh, whether it's a mother or grandmother or somebody else that we love, uh, they'd point you to Jesus. So here we are, Father. The altar's open um, to pray, to share. Do your work, God. Um, do way more than any of us can. We might convince, but only you convict. So, uh, Lord, we come bare, and may you speak. In your name we pray. Amen.